Welcome, my name is Loriana Hernandez Aldama, two-time cancer survivor and patient advocate, and you are listening to Stage Free, the place where we help cancer patients find the tools and resources they need to master survival. Cancer survivorship begins the day you are diagnosed. Over time, you may beat it or you may learn to live with it. Whatever the outcome, you probably wanna talk about it, and that's where we can help. Each week, I will share my insights and personal experience along with notable experts and cancer survivors. Together, we can help patients navigate the complicated road all survivors must travel. The goal, we want everyone to have an equal chance to not only survive, but most importantly, to thrive. Hi everyone, I'm Loriana Hernandez Aldama, and I am so honored to be your host for Stage Free. This is really a dream of mine to pivot and leverage my years as an Emmy award-winning journalist and also my real life experience as a two-time cancer survivor to educate and empower others. So today my guest is also my friend and I cannot wait for you to meet him. His name is Dr. Daniel Hughes. He is assistant professor of research at UT Health San Antonio, also adjunct assistant professor at Rice University. He teaches understanding cancer and I got to also speak to his class and he is dialing in from Rice uh, Research Area focused on, and the university, and they focus on optimizing outcomes for survivorship, which we know includes managing stress, physical, spiritual, mental well-being, and all kinds of approaches, holistic, integrative approaches as well. So Dr. Hughes, welcome. I was so excited to talk to you. Always a pleasure to see you, Loriana. Yeah. So let, first, before we get started, we have to tell everyone how we met. About Are you going to do it or you want me to do it? No, you do it. Come on. I do it. Okay. Well, hey, so got to meet you, was it two years ago at the Advancing the Science of Cancer and Latinos conference in San Antonio. We had just finished our pilot, which we worked real hard to get. And it's really a change in the way survivorship is viewed. And I walked by and I had, fortunately, I had my team with me as well. And you were speaking. And you were speaking and you were speaking our language. You were talking about the importance of being ready for the battle and the importance of addressing everything you need to address to be as ready as you can for that battle. Yes. So we and so when I was on stage, I remember looking out at you and all of a sudden, I mean, normally when, when you talk, everyone's like listening intently. And I know you were, but also I see this man jump up and like do the wave. And I was like, who, who is this crazy guy? But who is he? Because I want to meet him. Do you yeah, remember and you know, so the team was there, and we give each other high fives. That you know, somebody gets our language. This is, we got to find out about this lady. Yeah, and, so, and I'm so glad we got to connect because we are talking about stress and the cancer connection. And I know when correct. once I got off the stage, you and I started talking, and I always talked about with my career that I worked nonstop. I know I now I know I laid the groundwork for the illness for my my diagnosis of AML leukemia because I never stopped, never gave myself permission to pause. And I remember I was telling you I was working on another speech and I said, Dr. Hughes, what do you want to say about stress? Like I'm trying to come up with a new slide. What should I put on that slide? And you said, I want you to put a rocket and put rocket fuel because stress is rocket fuel to tumor growth. Can you tell me more about this? Sure, I'd be glad to. and what it is, is that one of the things that I've observed about you or observed about your history is you were burning the candle not on two ends, but three ends. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, so you were constantly on the go. But one of the things about stress and chronic stress, it's important to determine the difference between acute stress and chronic stress. Acute stress is helpful and it was an evolutionary advantage that we had as we developed. But chronic stress is what we live with now. And chronic stress is a problem. Because what happens is we don't have any direct evidence that stress causes a tumor. 
But we do have a lot of evidence that once a tumor gets a hold and you have stress and the associated inflammation and the associated issues, it's like a wound that never heals. It just becomes a tremendous advantage for the tumor and it is rocket fuel for it. It is. And I, I, when I tell people that story, they're in awe because I know when I was diagnosed with AML leukemia and I checked into Johns Hopkins, the reporter and me kept saying, why, why, like, how did I end up here? What did I do to deserve this? I was the clean eating, green drinking yoga enthusiast. It just didn't add up to me. And the doctor said, look, forget about what landed you here, what you may have done right. to get here. Let's, you could do that once you get out of here alive, because we know the statistics of AML leukemia can be very tough. Only 25% have a survival rate. And I'm honored and blessed to be in that survival rate. But once I went through that one year in the hospital, separated from my son, the bone marrow transplant, the first thing I did was now I'm like, okay, now I'm going to back, back to do some research and find out why, how did I get here? And that's how I found you because I did, like I burned the candle on three ends. And, and that's what so many of us do is we work and work and we say, oh, I'm going to slow down after the next project or after my kids, right? And that's a mistake because you say, well, I will do it the next project. Or I'll do it after this class is over. Or, you know, I'll take a break in three weeks when I get my grant submitted. What's happening is the tumor's winning the battle then, you know, and the cancer's getting stronger. One of the things that we need to understand is that as we're sitting there speaking, you and I both, you know, we have cancers, we have damaged cells running in our body, right? Mm -hmm. And the older we get, the more damage we get because we go through more cell division, where there are chances for damage. But here's what happens. If you are constantly chronically stressed, your body can never heal. You don't give it a chance to recover. But it's under this constant barrage and it weathers, just like the house on the side of the lighthouse weathers. And your body ages prematurely and starts to break down. It's going to break down. So the key is not wait, not wait till after the project's over. Now, start now, start working now. Well, and, and I say a lot of times people make fun of my analogies, but I think of, you know, like a car that we don't hit, you know, it always has those maintenance that it's so many thousand miles, you need to take it in for an oil change. And then at 10, you need to do other things for the car. And I tend to think of, you know, when people, when you skip all those milestones for your car and then you bring it in and it's like 50,000 miles and you need a new engine you know, and people yeah. are like, well, why do I, I don't understand what happened. It's like, what do you mean? Like you did not maintain the car. And you have to think of your body as a car. And I look back and know I was helping everybody else change their lives through diet and exercise. I was that clean eating. I was checking off the diet. I was doing the exercise. I was not sleeping, which is a whole nother podcast we'll talk yes, about. But that, That's you know, we could talk about the lack of the sleep and stress connection. And so I was not, I, I was so stressed. I was so stressed. So I look back and think, wow, I, I did lay the groundwork to land myself here. And so many people out there listening, whether they're going through cancer right now, whether they're a caregiver who also needs to take care of their health as well, um, or somebody who, who is just out there living life and knows that they could be a statistic and need to take care of themselves. I mean, talk, talk to me about the numbers of, uh, we talk about the numbers of how many people will get cancer in his or her lifetime. Well, you know, that's one of the things that's very interesting when I teach my class to these students because they're so young and, you know, they think they're bulletproof. Yeah. But the reality is that, you know, the lights just went off here. So hold on just a minute. I'll turn it back on. Their motion detector, I think. I think me and two still. Anyway, <laughs> I need you to move around. Can you dance around and burn some calories? Oh, you know, I can dance. There we go. Okay. See there? I know you can. Yeah. You know, they think they're bulletproof and they're there, you know, to 
who understand cancer. And they look at statistics and a lot of them are pre-med, as you know. But the reality is, and, and that's why I appreciated you coming in so much, to give them the face of the reality. The cancer is not just numbers. It's human beings. Mm-hmm. Also, that we can do things now to put the odds in our favor. When I tell them 40% of you are going to get cancer, they don't believe it. And I said 40% of you are going to get cancer. Maybe a little bit more because the incident rates are going up. Yeah, I get that. They were saying one in two men and one in three women, and now the numbers have changed. Yeah, well, they change, you know, and, you know, we, we're, we're, we're trying to predict the future, but we do know that trend's going up. It is. It's going up. The incident rate's going up, better detection. But, you know, we're getting older, we're getting more obese, we're getting lazier, et cetera, and we're doing chronically stressed. Mm-hmm. So when you tell them that and you realize, okay, so there's, you know, 16 of you sitting right here, just think of you, you know, 40% of you are going to be gone, or, you know, there's 20 of you right here. Bobby, you're going to be gone. You're going to get cancer. And then I ask him, how many of you know someone personally that has to have cancer, whether it be in a relative and so forth? The thing I love about you, I love a lot of things about you, but the thing I love about you when I first heard you speak that got us really rocking was that you were the first one that I heard publicly acknowledge that we need to prepare now for the battle. Prehab. Because if you're prepared for the battle, that's inevitable probably going to be very high probability you're going to get it. The more prepared you are, the more likely you're going to survive it. Right. Not only are right. you going to survive it, but you're going to survive it well and live better. The focus of our research has been on rehabilitation. Once you're a survivor, we try to optimize your outcome. Physically, functionally, spiritually, mentally, try to get you to manage the stress, whatever way it works for you. But the reality is we need to start now, educate our children now, Get PE back in the classrooms for guys in the schools back. Eliminate these sugary drinks and do everything we can to make our bodies as inhospitable cancer as we possibly can. Well, now, not later, but now. Yes. And we're going to be talking um, in another podcast to one of your colleagues, Dr. Brian Fr- Fricky, yes. about prehab. And I'm excited to talk about that because, you know, for me, it was very hard for me to get up on stage and, and really publicly acknowledge that I had, I played a role and we all play a role. You know, when we talk prehab, when we talk stress and cancer connection, I know looking back, I did lay the groundwork. Also know that I have to reassess my life after, after not just one cancer, but two cancers. And you have to set boundaries and setting boundaries saying, I have to protect my energy, whether it's people you love, family members, whatever it is, a job. And you have to say, I cannot, I cannot you know, get a cancer from this. I have to manage my stress and acknowledge it because I look back and I said, you know, viewers had written in and they would say, well, what are we, how does the clean eating, green drinking yoga enthusiast who told us to drink this green drink, get cancer? Like, should we just eat burgers? I'm like, no, the point is what you do today, how much you eat, the stress and toxicity in your life, the amount of stress in your life all determines how well you show up when life punches you in the face. And, and I want, what I want you to really talk about is you are telling me that there is um, there's a, a years that you look back when someone's diagnosed with cancer. How what kind of major stressor, uh, what kind of major event may have happened it, before that? And it's a major event, and it's something that's stressor to that individual. As I think I mentioned to you, the people that have come through our doors in our studies, I would say that ninety nine point nine nine percent, all of them really, have said that they had a major life event, major life stressor. One to three years before they got cancer, before it was diagnosed, right? I should say. Whether it be the death of a spouse, the loss of a job, you know, a major hitter, like you said, getting punched in the face. It's going to happen. And yes. so, you know, 
having said that, it, it's just uh, something that always has struck with me. And as you know, I'm a second career researcher. And, uh, you know, my original job was a chemical engineer in Dow Chemical. And I saw what stress did a lot to people there in terms of job stress and so forth. And I always looked for ways that maybe we could alleviate that stress through physical activity. But it's really more physical, act more than physical activity, because as human beings, we are really not dancers. As statues, we're dancers. We have, you know, body, mind, and spiritual interaction and, and over it. So it's really how cognition, what we think, impacts our bodies as well. If we think this is stressful and we perceive it as stressful, then we have this flood of, you know, chemicals that come into our system and start breaking down our body, dampen our immune system so the tumors can get a better mm -hmm. hold, increase inflammation so it becomes, you know, rocket fuel, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a cascade. I want to go back and give an analogy if I could. I love sure. your analogy about the car. This is the one I heard. So picture that you have two people cutting down wood in a in a forest, right? And one of them, oh, I gotta hurry, I gotta hurry. I've got these deadlines, got these deadlines. Keeps chopping with the same axe and it gets blunted. And he's not chopping down as effectively. Whereas the other guy will take a break every few, you know, period of time after so many trees and sharpen the saw. And his productivity is increased. So I always say sharpen the saw, take a break, sharpen the saw, and then get back to it. You have and to rest and recharge. I look back and a lot of times I share on stage and, it, and it's hard for me to share, but I know I always said, if I live, I will serve and I will pay it forward and help make the path better for others. It was so bad. And I know I'm not the only one that I would go into yoga class and hide my phone under the mat and wait for the right posture to reach down, touch my phone and make sure there wasn't a breaking story that wasn't going to elevate my career. And yes. I bolt out of the yoga studio. I'm like, this is ridiculous. How, how I live my life like this and people, whether it's in media or whatever kind of demanding job, you mentioned you left a corporate job because you knew the stress was just starting to pile up for you and take oh, it us all. And I was not going to be around many years if I kept it up. If you don't sharpen the saw, like you said, you have to rest and recharge because that's part of the thing. I also would leave in Shavasana at the end of yoga. I'm like, oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time. And it's part yeah. of the, that's the whole it's process. It's easy to do too. It's easy to do, especially in this age and time, you know, with the connectivity that we have and the 24 seven and emails and phones and text messages, you know, it's just like we had another layer of not being able to break away. I do want to go back uh, because I want to repeat this one more time because you are not the sure. first researcher or oncologist tell me that because when I was diagnosed, they also said to me, did you have a major event that happened to you oh, within they? the past one to three years before I got cancer? When I had AML leukemia and I checked myself into Johns Hopkins before I was misdiagnosed twice by other mm. doctors. And they said, what happened to you within the past one to three years? And I looked at them and I said, well, I had a baby. I was living by myself. My husband was holding down his dream job in another country. I mean, in another part of the country while I was holding down mine, we were stuck to our careers. And I was trying to be superwoman and thinking that I could have it all. And sometimes you have to reassess. And I knew I was waking up at 1.45 in the morning for work to anchor a morning show, finish at noon. And then like, then the president would talk, we'd stay later. Then I'd go MC an event go to bed at 10 o'clock, 11 after an event, wake up at 1.45. It was this vicious cycle that never ended. And I know when you talk about people who work in healthcare, people who work in all sorts of demanding jobs that they are on this, like this hamster on a wheel. And then you exactly. throw in those life-changing events like death of a spouse, a divorce, job loss. And then you have that chronic inflammation, right? right. Then, then the tumor gets a hold of it. 
And the so, damage still gets a foothold. You're right. I want you to talk. I, I brought the test strips because yes. you are going to, um, I have 10 of these and right. you we're not going to do it live right now because I would have to hold this test strip for testing my cortisol in my mouth for two minutes and let it get sloppy. So I'm going to do it on another day because it's very <laughs> time, but you thought this was so important. So I want you to tell me, what are you looking for in the cortisol, uh, in this, these cortisol tests? And what are you hoping to find? Because you're working to help cancer patients and help them uh, really stay without having a recurrence. You know, this is exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to maximize outcomes, increase the time on planet Earth for our survivors and make those times better. You can have a long life and not be a good quality of life. We want both. Stress is a major player. It cuts across a lot of things, not just cancer, but everything else, right? So how do we really measure stress? Stress is one of those things like beauty and good looking, et cetera. It's hard to really capture and conceptualize, but we're trying. And the way we're trying is qualitative and quantitative. I ask you what's stressing you, what's stressing you in your life, but also need a biological marker. And I need a convenient biological marker. Fortunately for us, cortisol is one of those pathways, the end product of a pathway about stress reactivity. And the other good thing is we can measure in the saliva. I don't have to capture in the blood. The saliva is equates to about 97% accuracy to what's in your blood as far as the cortisol and flood in your stream. The thing about it is cortisol, like many other things, follows a diurnal rhythm. And if you sleep less, you're probably not going to have that normal rhythm, right? Okay. Well, I want to back up though. Sure. First, let's explain. I jumped into this, but we need to, let's, let's give everyone just a little quick one-on-one. What is cortisol? And then you're talking sure. about the rhythm. So let's break it down a little cortisol easier. Cortisol is one of the markers, biological markers of stress. Okay. One of the biological, it's released as part of what's called an HPA pathway hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal. So if you perceive something as stressful, the end product is going to be this flood of cortisol in your system. Okay. But it's not just the cortisol, it's the pattern of the cortisol. That's important. But cortisol is a marker for stress, biological, just like other markers are. But it's one that we can capture fairly easily. And we we're beginning to understand it even better. Not only that, we know that it follows a normal diurnal rhythm. What do I mean by that? When you wake up, about 45 minutes, you get a peak in your cortisol, and then it starts to come down the rest of the day. The more negative that slope is, the more it comes down, it says that your stress reactivity is better. You're better able to react to the stress. Your body recovers from it better. If it's blending it straight across, it says you're having problems controlling your stress level. You're not okay. recovering. You're on, 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 pedal to the metal and no brakes, that type of thing. Right. So you're talking about when we wake up in the morning, our level of stress, you picture like a slide at an amusement park. You're going like those slides that my kid loves to go down these bouncy slides. When you wake up, the, the cortisol level shoots up and it should come down at a gradual pace down as the day goes on. And at now night, it should be the lowest. Like, is, yes, ma'am. Now, people Correct. like me who are chronically stressed, hopefully I'm not chronically stressed anymore, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, People like me who were chronically stressed or they work in those high intense jobs and never give them give themselves the ability to pause in their life, they shoot up the cortisol and there's no slope. There's no coming down. The they blunder, just stay yeah, up. The blunder response. It's not a normal response. That's correct. The slope becomes flatter and they're not as negative. So what we're doing in our research is with our optimizing our outcomes for our survivors with therapeutic yoga, balanced exercises and supportive text messaging. We're trying to see if we can impact that slope and make it more negative. And there's been studies, even dated a couple of decades ago, where breast cancer survivors that have these blended slopes 
have a, a larger risk for all-cause mortality or recurrence. So we know we're on to something. Now, not everybody agrees that, it need, that it's the slope. Some people think, well, it's the peak in the morning. The further the peak, the better. Some people think it's just a nighttime level. Some people think it's what's called the area under the curve or the total number, amount of cortisol in the system. It's beginning to, to seem that the real number is this reactivity and following this diurnal rhythm. If you don't have this reactivity, it, it, it says that there's problems with your, with your not only your uh, stress reactivity, but maybe your immune system as well. And I want to point out why this is so important to those who are listening, because if you are a cancer survivor, if you're a caregiver who's constantly stressed, if you are someone who has genetic markers and you think you might land in our lane, which I hope it doesn't happen, then you need to pay attention to your stress levels, because I know as a survivor, not only was I chronically stressed before I had cancer, but then during the treatment, you're chronically stressed trying to pay your bills, who's going to take care of your kid. Uh, and then you're chronically stressed afterwards because there's so many stressors. Your body's not the same. Your mind's not the same. You lose your job. Like I lost my job. So many, you start to go through all these losses, including yes. financial losses, and the stress starts to mount. Your relationships change. And that level of stress is what you're looking into to say, how do we stop that for cancer survivors so they don't have a recurrence? Like for me, I had a breast, I had breast cancer after I had leukemia. Was it the full body radiation? We don't know. Or was it just the constant stress that you said was like rocket fuel for tumor growth? And it is. It's fertilizer, rocket fuel for tumor growth. It just feeds it. It really does. But, you know, it, that is the problem. The concept. But we have to come up with solutions. And the solutions is that it's very individualistic. What may work for you may not work for me. For some people, they like to dance. Some people like music. Some people like me like to hit things like your bags, you know, <laughs> for routines. But what it is, you have to experiment and find what works. And once you find what works, Use it. Do it. Don't wait for the next project, but do it now. Make it part of your daily habit. Even just mindful meditation, taking a break 10 minutes a day and just focusing on your breathing. Uh, we have a colleague of ours that does therapy yoga, very specialized therapy yoga, that is focused on the body-mind connection. And the body and the mind are connected. We can't separate the two. What we think impacts our body. So, yes. you know, your points are well it's not. It's not just any yoga. I know when I, I had the honor of meeting her, um, I know yoga is important, but of course the type of yoga I end up gravitating towards is the high intensity, hot sure. yoga. And when I met her, the doctor you're talking about, the first thing she said is, no, I need you to do therapeutic yoga. Like the hot yoga is great for your workout, but if we're going to lower your cortisol levels and lower your risk of recurrence, you need to get into therapeutic yoga. So explain to me why you're looking at that. Well, it's real simple. Therapeutic yoga is very individualized and it's all about maximizing the outcome. So what we have is within the pattern of our study, you know, this, within the structure, we have a structure of the poses and so forth, but within that, they're very individualistic. And what Dr. Darby will tell you is all you have to do is breathe. You start with the breathing. The breathing will tell you if you're having problems, you're going too fast, you're going too slow. Start with your breath, then work from there. And it's all very, very much for what works for you. Uh -huh. It may not work for somebody else. But within the structure of the poses and within the structure of the amount that we want, the dose that we have, quote unquote, it's important to understand that it is individualized. Because that's the one thing we don't quite get a grasp on. We tend to worry too much about group averages, group statistics, uh -huh. when at the end of the day, it's all about the individual survivor and what works for them. 
the studies that we're doing now, we actually have a structure where we invite survivors in, but within that structure, we're very individualized in our approach. It's what works and for them. This is one of the studies you're doing. You're studying X amount of patients or survivors, and you're gonna, going to study them over a certain period of time and see if the work you're doing with them through therapeutic yoga and some of the other interventions to lower their stress levels could in fact lower their risk of recurrence, right? That's the end of the, that's the end game. Yes, ma'am. You're absolutely right. And what are you, what do you anticipate on finding that it, you can turn these numbers around? You know, what we anticipate is started with our pilot and what we anticipate finding if people do the activity, they're going to benefit. It doesn't really matter what type of activity. It doesn't matter if you go get your heart rate up 70% of max and all that good stuff. What matters is that you're doing something and that you're doing something that works for you whether it be a boxing routine, dancing to music, whether it be, uh, you know, dancing to La Bamba, whatever it might be. Eating guac do, and dancing. I know when you and I get together, we eat guac and then we talk about, we, we should go dance. We better dance a lot after some of that good guac. You have to do what works for you. And the most important thing is not necessarily the type of activity people worry about. Does it need to be strength training? Does it need to be flexibility aerobic? BS, it needs to be something that makes you active and breaks you away where you can sharpen the saw, fix your car, take a mental break, get your stress under control, and then you can fight the battle better. I 100% I agree. Now, I want to separate out the difference between the acute stress and chronic sure. stress. Uh, for acute, I know we were saying when you're running, let's say someone's running from a bear chasing you, but then that stress is going to end. That's the acute. You're correct. And that gave us an evolutionary advantage, right? As we all know. You know, a lot of things happen physiologically when you do this fight or flight syndrome. Whether you fight or flight, you know, your body gets a gush of adrenaline, gush of cortisol. The blood is, you know, shunted through the major muscle groups, et cetera. So you can have a better chance of surviving. Your blood gets thicker, et cetera, et cetera. But also, your, you know, your vision becomes more acute in longer distances. So you can maybe see that tiger coming up the trail. But what good does that do that when you're studying for a midterm exam and it's two o'clock in the morning? You know, you're getting your eyes a little bit more better focused, not going to do any good. So, you know, and but the thing about it in today's society, and one of the other questions I asked the students is, you think that you're under more stress than I was when I was going through college? Because we had Vietnam, we had a lot of issues. And they said, I think we're more stressed. There's more pressure on us to perform. Absolutely. There's more and I think they're right. Stress is not going to go away. The demands are not going to go away. It's how we manage it. And, you know, I always tell people every year on your birthday, I know from my birthday and I have two because I had a transplant, so I'm extra, but every year on your birthday, I just had a birthday. And I always use that day as a reflection to say, one, am I living out my best life? And am I truly managing my stress? Because that's a time for me to reflect and also set some boundaries in place. Mm -hmm. And even if it means it hurts somebody's feelings that they need to understand that I need to manage my stress and I have to set boundaries in place because Despite every time after every cancer, you're so fresh out of it. I'm like, I have to manage my stress. I have to manage my stress. And so I start to make changes, make decisions of saying no to going certain places or doing certain things that I know I need to really protect my energy. And then as time wears off, where, you know, goes on, then I start to forget and I get back into that. It's just, I'm programmed from a reporter. I'm always Easier said than done. Easier said than done. When there's so much to be done, I know exactly what you mean. If we're going to make it happen. We have to take care of ourselves. So I encourage everyone who's listening to really use this, this conversation as a moment to reflect and think, what is the stress like in your life? 
how are, you know, are, is there just toxic stress all around you? Do you need to have remove some people in your life or just spend less time with them? Do you need to like cut back on a project at work? What is it? Um, especially if you're a cancer survivor, um, you were talking about, it's like a toxic dump. Yeah. We don't want to make our bodies toxic dump. We want to make our bodies as in hospital to cancer as we possibly can, which includes sleep, positive social support, managing stress, exercise, and good diet. Yeah. And it's not easier said than done. It's easier said than done. It truly I know is. my, my oncologist, Dr. Mark Levis from Johns Hopkins, I, I was sharing the story. He loved it when I would walk in and he would say, you look stressed. What is going on? And he said, I want to remind you, you know, that green, the, the green <laughs> container that when you are, you fertilize your yard, you walk around and you crank that little machine. And he says, when people are stressing you, when projects are stressing you, just think about that you are literally throwing fertilizer all around, taking it out of that container and just laying down the groundwork for illness, causing inflammation in your body. So he always says, how's that machine going? How much, how much fertilizer are you sprinkling so around right. in your life? So right. And I encourage everybody there, start now. Don't put it off. Say, well, I'll start with my New Year's resolution or after this project, you know, and I love what you said when I first heard you speak. You know, we got to prepare for the battle. I want the big bag. I want to be able to get the full load of treatment. So I need my body to be as ready as it can be. And I think that needs to be our focus is prepare now. Absolutely. Time is now, whether you are fighting cancer, whether you're in recovery, whether you're a caregiver or never even impacted by cancer, it is never a bad time to start taking action and reducing the stress in your life, knowing it can lay the inflammation for cancer and other illnesses. It, one, we're almost out of time. One last thing. Do you, is there anything else you'd like to add? Just some words of inspiration before we go. Words of inspiration. <laughs> you know, I think the, the thing that I want to say is this. You know, we only have one life. We want to make an impact. We want to we want to do good things for good people. It's got to start with us. And if we're not around and we're not healthy, we're not going to be able to help anybody. You start. And the other thing I want to say about this is that it's not an easy thing. And fortunately for me, my team, including yourself, is very transdisciplinary. We bring in a lot of people from a lot of different perspectives because it does take. It's not a simple solution. We used to think about, you know, medicine, you know, physical functioning, all mm -hmm. siloed. No, it's not that at all. It's really cross. It's body, mind, and spirit interaction. And we need a team, transdisciplinary team, to work together and not be in silos to address the issues that we have in front of us. Absolutely. We are a whole patient with real life problems. And I say we have to surround ourselves with a pit crew and that multidisciplinary team to help us get through the process and well into survivorship. So Dr. Daniel Hughes, it has been such an honor. I don't have any guac. I know you love guac. To share I know you do you, too. I, I know you do I, too. I will be doing the study that the 10 vials over the next two days. And uh, we will certainly post that. And also we're going to be talking to Dr. Darby, who does the therapeutic yoga and see if we can get her to do some of the yoga that we can put on our website. So people can really see the difference in the type of yoga we're talking about. So thank you again. And you know what, Lauriana, don't take this the wrong way, but I love you and I love everything you're doing and just keep it up. Oh, I love you too. And I'm grateful for the work you're doing and the lives you're changing and saving. You have an amazing day. You too. Best of your family. Bye. Adios. Adios. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Stage Free. Join us every week for a new podcast featuring thought leaders and experts who will help cancer survivors not only survive, but ultimately thrive throughout treatment and recovery as they learn how to master survival. Learn more about us at Armor Up for Life dot org.